Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Christmas have anything lasting to offer? Does it have what we need? And the answer is yes. And we've been exploring this. The first week we, we've talked about uh, uh, Jesus and, and we've been looking in Colossians to understand all about Jesus because really this season is all about him, right? And so we've been looking in Colossians 1 and that's where we've been hanging out. And so the first week we talked about why Jesus came. And of course the four reasons are there in, in the first chapter of Colossians. It says that Jesus came to qualify us, to claim us, to rescue us and redeem us. That's why he came. And Paul, this, of course, the book of Colossians is just a letter that was written to a group of people. And Paul is, is talking to them and he's so excited that they found faith, but he knows that they are struggling. And so he addresses issues that we today are even struggling with about why Jesus came. And so he makes it clear. And then last week we talked about who Jesus is. And Paul uses very big words, very dramatic words to paint a word picture of who Jesus is so we can understand the supremacy of Christ, so we can understand that he was fully man and yet fully God all at the same time and how important he was through God's, through God's perspective and heaven's perspective. And so this week we're going to continue and we're going to stay in, in Colossians 1. That's exactly where we're going to be hanging out. And this week we're going to look into what it is that Jesus offers. And according to this chapter, I believe that there are three things that Jesus offers us. And he offers us something that is lasting, something that is lasting past. Like, you know, when you get a gift, sometimes you're just really excited about it. And its usefulness is done like, you know, within the first day. You ever see your kids like they get a gift and they start playing with it and they're done. They're done. The excitement's gone. They'll never touch it again. Or some kids, they get, they get presents and they just stay in their room, never even open. Do you guys ever have, you guys know any kids like that? My kids found, uh, found one of the Christmas presents that they had gotten. Uh, it was six months later, still unopened underneath their bed, right? And it was like Christmas all over again. It was like, yeah, I've got something to do. But does what Jesus offer, is it something that will last past the excitement of the Christmas season, past January, maybe past six months, or maybe even a year? Or, and is what he offers, is it, is it worth eternity? And so this Christmas, you'll probably wind up sitting around a table with your family. Maybe it'll be a family reunion, or maybe it's just going to be close friends, but you're going to wind up sitting at the table. And of course, you've always got somebody in your family that you hope you get to sit next to, right? For me, it's my, my Aunt Bonnie, and I'm hoping she's listening to this podcast because she's just a gem. If you've ever met my aunt, you understand. She's who you want to sit next to. That's, that's where the party's going to be. She's a hoot. And uh, yeah, <laughs> people that know my Aunt Bonnie, there you go. But you always hope you're sitting next to her, right, or that one person. But, you're, but you know that you're not going to, like, you know, because everybody wants to sit next to Bonnie, right? So you, you know you're going to wind up sitting next to your cousin Eddie, and Eddie's going to give you his sob story immediately and want to borrow money until he gets back on his feet. And, you know, you're already kind of irritated by this because, you know, when Eddie first showed up in his RV, he emptied his sewage into your sewer right in front of the house. <laughs> Christmas vacation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, 
you're going to have different interactions around the table, right? And today I want to talk to you about three different gifts that occur around the table that Jesus offers us, not just at Christmas, but of course all year round. So the very first thing we're going to look at is, is the first thing Jesus offers is a pardon for your past. If you're here today and you need a Bible, we would love to bless you with a Bible. We do have Bibles available for you in our service. Host will get one in your hand. If you'll just put your hand in the air, we will gift you with a Bible. You can take it home and read it, uh, or, and you can have it for today. But know that the verses will also be up on the screen. We're going to be, again, in Colossians 1. And so the first thing Jesus offers is a pardon for your past. Here's what verse 21 through 22 says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What we need to understand or what this verse is talking about is that our evil behavior separates us from a holy God. Paul says that we are alienated from him. That's whether you tell a lie or whether you've stolen something from someone or maybe you took credit from, uh, with the boss for something you didn't do. Or maybe your sin was a marriage that went south because of decisions you made. Or maybe it was an abortion that you financed because you just wanted to keep a secret a secret. Whatever the evil behavior in which you've been willing, a willing participant, Jesus comes to pardon that. To pardon you and to forgive you and for me. Let me ask you something. Have you ever smelled a smell before that just wasn't pleasant to you? Now, I don't mean like a smell like a, like, you know, I don't mean like a, like a dead animal kind of smell. I mean like a, a fragrance, something that you smell that's just like, um, I don't know, it just kind of makes you sick to your stomach a little bit, you know, like you need to clear the air, you need to clear the room, or maybe somebody's wearing a perfume that's a little too heavy. You know what I mean? You like smell that. It just kind of bothers you a little bit. You guys, are, is anybody out there awake today? Or Yes, okay, there's a few hands. Yeah, all right, all right. I like it when you talk back. It's okay, you can talk back to me. And uh, and so you, you smell this smell, and... and no matter where it's from or what, it, you just don't like it, right? And uh, you're not really sure what it is, though. And so the first thing you do, what do you do? You start blaming. You look around the room and you start blaming things, right? You look around the room and maybe there's a candle burning. You're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's probably the candle. And so you blow out the candle and you know that the smell is going to be in the room for a little bit. So you, so you deal with it for the rest of the day, even though you're continually smelling it, right? And then the next day, you, you on your way to work and you, by golly, you smell it again. You smell it again, and then you start thinking through, and you're like, oh, you know, that was a fragrant candle. I, I stopped for coffee on my way to work. I'll bet the girl in the drive-thru had some on her hands and somehow some lotion, the same fragrance. And when I got my coffee, she transferred it to me, and now I'm smelling it, and I'm at work, and I'm hating life right now. You know what I'm saying? You, you try to figure it out until you, until you get home. And you're walking past your closet, and you, daggone it, you smell it again. And so you call your spouse in, and you're like, hey, come here, come stand really close. Now, normally, isn't this funny how we are? You smell something bad, and you call somebody else to smell it. This, is, this tastes awful. Try it. Or this is smells, ugh. We want to invite somebody into our pain. And so you walk past your closet, and you smell it. And, of course, you call your spouse. Hey, come here. Come here and smell this. And so, so they come in. And they stand right close to you, and they're like, man, I, I do smell it. And you're like, did you change the laundry detergent? It's, did, you, did you change something about this? Because that, it's just not, no, 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 I didn't change the laundry detergent. Man, I can't figure it out what it is. Come to find out recently that you had switched something. That it was your fault 
that the smell was there. See, your lips had been chapped and you went to the store and your regular brand of CarMax was not there and so you chose something else. And the smell that you've been smelling was what you were putting on your lips. Anybody ever done this before? Am I the only one? Isn't that stupid? Because really, look, look, at the, look at how much energy was exerted us looking around our world because we, we blamed the coffee girl, we blamed the candle, we blamed the laundry detergent and our spouse. We blame other people when really the smell was coming from us. <laughs> and we're really good. I think we're really, really good at pointing fingers and placing blame, aren't we? Yet in the end, we have to admit that we're the reason for the odor. We're the ones that are responsible for the smell. And look, we're all haunted by previous mistakes, and maybe, maybe your mistake started with your lips. Maybe it's something that you said to somebody or shouted at a family member. Or maybe it's a drink that you took across your lips years ago, and that was your first one, and you wish you could have that moment back, that you could go back to that moment and say, I wish I'd never taken my first drink. Or maybe your sin is further down than your lips, and it's in your heart. You know, maybe it's time you spent at work instead of with your family. And now you regret that time that was lost with them because they're grown and and it's something you can never get it back. And yet for some reason, when we take ownership and realize our sin and need for a Savior, everything can begin to change, right? Everything begins to change. And even though our smell is offensive to our Heavenly Father, He still offers us forgiveness. And whatever it is that we carry around, He's aware of it and how it has alienated us from Him. And he longs for us to be in right relationship with him. And he longs for us to be together in fellowship with him. That's the truth. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know what that means? It means that the best that you and I can offer is nothing. Filthy rags. Rags you throw away. Rags that you throw on the floor in your garage. Useless. Good for nothing. The best that you and I can offer compared to our holy God. And so compared to that holiness, our best acts look like in and of ourselves, we don't measure up. And Jesus smelled the stench of our sin all the way up in heaven. And he came to the world to save us from sin. He became humanity in order to deliver us from depravity. And some of you say, well, that's good news, right? If it's God's job to forgive me, then I better get busy going out and sinning to give him something to do, right? I know people like that. They're like, well, grace is, is never ending. If God's grace is there and he'll just forgive me, then why would I control myself? Why would I live in such a way that, that I, could, I could be having so much fun? I could be doing all of the things that I love to do because sin is fun. But that's not how it works. God's pardon for your past and my past, his pardon for your present, and my present, his pardon for your future. His amazing grace only reaches out to those who are willing to commit their lives to him. And it's possible for your past to be pardoned. But you've got to accept the pardon and grace by accepting Jesus. That's your first step. And Jesus offers a pardon for your past. The second thing that he offers is a purpose for your life. He gives us purpose, a reason to be here on earth. And don't get me wrong, living the Christian life can be a daunting thing. It's a very difficult task at times, but he gives us the power to do it. Look back at Colossians 1, 27-29. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles 
the glorious riches of his mystery. In other words, he's saying, these are the people that God has chosen to tell everybody about him. Who are those people in this room? That's right, Sylvia. You are, you are, and you are, and I am. We are God's chosen people. Verse continues on. Which uh, the, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look, the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of your heart is what that's talking about. And it's the moment that we say that Jesus is Lord, that he fills our heart and our lives. When we learn to rely on him, that is what will give our lives directions and purpose. In fact, when you give Jesus your heart, he, in exchange, gives you his. He makes that exchange, and that's how forgiveness takes place. You may ask, how in the world could God ever love me with all my sins? Here's how. Because when God looks at you after you've accepted Christ, he doesn't see you. He sees his son. The verses, the scriptures over and over talk about us being in Christ. It is a reference to literally putting him on. Now, I don't mean like we wear Jesus like a flesh skin suit and we look like him. I I mean, it is like putting him on like a robe. And when God looks at us, he only sees his son. He only sees his son. And that's the hope of the glory that the verse speaks of. Verse 28 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So look, it begins by saying, we proclaim him. That means it is our job to tell other people. It is part of our purpose to declare and share about Jesus. And we should be boldly sharing him with the world. Now, I know the pushback here. I know most of you, and we've had private conversations about this. I know what you're going to say about that. You say, well, it's not part of my personality to tell people about Jesus, or I don't know the words to say, or maybe I don't know the verse to say, or, or, or you know, I'm not cut out to do that. But look, Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, can give you the boldness that you lack. Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, can give you the words to say and will give you the words to say. There are verses that that Jesus was talking to the disciples. He said, when you stand in front of people, don't even think about or worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will tell you right then and there. Jesus, the Holy Spirit in you, will give you the words. Look, he alters who you are in exchange for who he is so that we can become witnesses for him. It's part of our purpose. And if you're still unsure, let me tell you that remaining in a state of inaction is declaring that the Holy Spirit is not capable of doing these things. Your inactivity shows where your faith is or lack of faith is. Because with faith without works, and James, the book of James, it says faith without works. In other words, I believe something, so I do something. Faith without works is dead. In other words, you don't really believe that. You don't really believe it. So you say you have faith, so show it. Do something. You say, I'm nervous. That's okay. Do it anyways. You think I'm not nervous when I get up here to declare the gospel? Absolutely. I want you to like me. I want to be friends with you. I want to have coffee with you. I want to have fun. Absolutely. You think I'm not nervous? In a personal relationship, forget standing up here and one-on-one and saying to someone, you know what, I know what's going on in your life and you need Jesus. You think I'm not nervous? That's okay. I tell my kids, be afraid, but do it anyway. That's courage. 
Courage doesn't mean you lack fear. It means that you're afraid and you do it anyway. The moment you get over that hump, that roadblock, the Holy Spirit takes over. The moment you open your mouth, the rest is up to God anyway. Because honestly, is it up to you to save somebody's soul or is it up to God? It's up to Him. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And it's just like the trust balls you used to do back in camp or at high school. Did anybody ever do those? Come on, somebody got me? Somebody got me? Nobody. Y'all are some smart people. I'm a big man. Don't catch me. Look, I have to tell you that during this time of year, this is like the easiest time of year to talk about Christ. I don't want to jokingly say like shooting fish in a barrel. I don't mean like that. But I mean like Christ is everywhere. It's Christ. Christ. Mass. He is everywhere. And it's on everybody's lips. It's in every single song. The majority of them that aren't singing about Santa. But he is everywhere. And this is the time of year that everybody is open to conversations or more likely to be open to conversations about Christ. So here's my challenge to you. We have a Christmas Eve service on Wednesday. I want to challenge you to pray about who you could invite to come to the Christmas Eve service. You say, well, I I couldn't do that. You're right, you can't. But Christ in you can. So I want to challenge you to begin to pray, to identify somebody that you could invite. Because this time of year, it's easy to invite someone to come to know Jesus. It's easy to invite someone to church. So do it. Invite someone and remember that it is Christ in you that will speak the words. Christ in you that will be bold. Look, the verse continues on. It says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That verse is for you. It's not just for me. And look, I want you to, I want, when I read this, actually, I, I was reading this, and this morning it just, it just hit my heart. And I wrote next to the verse, hashtag, the struggle is real. <laughs> Read that. To this end, I strenuously contend. Another, another translation says, I struggle. The struggle is real. He is stressing. He is working at something. What is he working at? He is working at declaring Christ. It's a process. To declare Christ is energy that is being exerted, but it's not your energy. It's Christ at work in you. Are you willing to let that work occur? Are you willing to let that happen? Are you willing to let him work in you? And this process and challenge takes on a deeper meaning at Christmas because Emmanuel, one of the names given to Christ, he shall be called Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. Now, it doesn't mean that God was with us. It means God with us. It's a present tense. And God is constantly in the present tense. Even though he's in our past, he's in our future, he is present. God was with us. God is with us. God will be with us. And that's good news. And Paul is pointing out that as, over, as overwhelming as that is, that the God of the universe would take up residence in a baby that would be born in Bethlehem at Christmas that we celebrate every year. As overwhelming as that concept is, that God loved us so much that he would send his only son. The more overwhelming idea is that not only did Christ come, but that God would take up residence in me. That he would consider me Somebody as filthy as me. See, you don't know the things that I've done. You think because I stand up here that I've got it all together, and I don't. 
You think because, because sister so-and-so is blessing people and working at the food pantry that she knows what it is. No, she's acting from a place of brokenness herself. She knows what she's done, and she knows that God has accepted her, just like I know God has accepted me. Who is sister so-and-so? I'm not sure. We'll talk about it later. It's not important right now. But I want you to think about this. That God would take up residence in us as sinners. Think about this. A baby hasn't sinned. It can't tell the difference between what's wrong and right, but, but we do. And yet God chooses to indwell the hearts of sinful people who commit to follow him, all the while knowing that, that those people he chooses to dwell in will continue to falter in their faith and willfully sin against him. So God with us is great news, but Christ in, a, in us through the Holy Spirit is even better news. So there's two things that Jesus offers so far. There's one more thing. Not only does he pardon our past, not only does he give us purpose in life, but he gives us a place at his table. Now I want you to think about that. You're thinking spiritually. You're thinking heavenly. You're thinking, you know, like Peter Pan scenario, like the movie Hook, where they're all sitting at the table and they imagine what they want to eat and that's what's on the table. And you're, you're thinking magic and clouds. But, but I want you to think about your table for a moment. Think about the magic there. What happens when you invite somebody to your table? What does that say about them? You're identifying them. You are inviting them to a place of intimacy. It goes past the, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Bobby, that's what your name tag says. It goes past that. It goes past that. It, you're fellowshipping together. You're saying, I want to know you. I want you to know me. Intimacy is into me see. You're inviting them to a different level, a place of vulnerability. And when you are do that, it is an invitation for a more intimate friendship that goes beyond that surface. When you say to somebody, hey, let's do lunch, it does the same thing. Your relationship with the person will go beyond. Come on over. Bring your family over. Come to my house. Every time you're seated around a table in the comfort of your home and you invite someone to that table, you're declaring you're part of us. And Jesus offers us a place at his table. Colossians 1, again, the verse continues on 19 through 20. We're kind of jumping back a little bit. It said, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Look, here's why we can have a place at his table. Naturally, we're all enemies of God because of our sinful nature. We're sinners. We're born sinners. We constantly choose things that are contrary to God's will for our lives, so we have to be reconciled back to him. This verse tells us that that is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. So you say, Aaron, you know, I don't understand that. That's beyond me. Okay, well, if you've never heard this before, let me unpack it for you real quick. I'm going to give you some cliff's notes, some bullet points that you need to understand about the love of Christ and what happened, what that means that he shed his blood. In Romans, it tells us that all have sinned, that everyone has sinned, and that the wages or the payment of sin is death. Death here on earth means that our re- death in our relationships, death, death in our efforts, death in our finances. Death in our marriage, death in our job, when we choose to live a life contrary 
to what God's best is for us. That is death. And eventually, sin will bring eternal death, which is punishment of separation from God. Eternity in hell. Hebrews tells us that the only payment for sin is blood by saying that the shedding of, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no taking back. There is no cleansing. There is no wiping the slate clean of sin without the shedding of blood. But our sinful blood could not pay for the sin or pardon it. Our blood was required for the sin. A perfect sacrifice, one without sin, would be required. Enter Jesus. Here's Jesus. He leaves heaven, enters this world as a baby, lives a perfect life, tempted in every way, just like me and you, yet without sin. And he willingly lays down his life for you and for me. His perfect blood could wipe away our sins. So he gave his life, a ransom for many. The price was paid on the cross. And Jesus endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. He stayed up there on that cross when he could have come down. Because do you think the God of creation, who created all things, and that all things in this world are declared for him, do you think that he couldn't get himself down from a cross? And yet he yielded himself to that. He yielded himself to the cross. He yielded himself to death. And he did that for me and you. There were people there that yelled at him, if you, are the, if you are the Christ, save yourself. And Jesus knew that he could save himself, but if he took himself down off that cross, he would have saved himself and he could not have saved us in doing so. And yet, he chose to save us. So God's love loves us in spite of our sins and weaknesses. And although we feel unworthy of his love and acceptance, he couldn't have saved me in me and you and himself. So he chose to save us. He chose to save us. He still pulls back the seat of his table and invites us to join him at the table despite our sin, despite our past. Because what Jesus offers is for everyone. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is repentance? That's a churchy word, Aaron. That's an old-time word. It just means to turn away from something. It's 180 degree. Repent. The way that I'm going, I'm not going to go anymore. And Jesus makes it crystal clear that whoever rejects this offer will be condemned. What does condemned mean? Given a sentence. Your future is determined for you by someone else. That determination is done by a higher power, and that is God when you reject His Son. But you can be at peace with God. You can have a divine pardon and be given a purpose in life. And you can have a seat at His table for all eternity in heaven. This is a picture of heaven. This is what Jesus offers. And this invitation isn't just for now, but for the future as well. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I'm speaking to every heart, every soul, every spirit in this place. I need to tell you something that tomorrow isn't promised to us. Our life is a vapor, as James 4 describes it, that's here now and gone without a trace. And God is here now. He is calling out to you. 
Today is the day of salvation. Right now can be your moment. Won't you accept this gift? Won't you accept God's expression of love that is found in His Son Christ? Won't you say yes? Today, Jesus, I'll follow you. You you may say, I I don't know, maybe after the first of the year or after I do a few things or, or let me get my act together first. Look, we aren't even promised that we'll walk out of this door and let alone our next breath. We aren't promised that we can get into a car and make it to our home safely. We aren't promised that we'll be given enough time to clean ourselves up so that we can come to Jesus. But Jesus is saying to you today, come as you are. Come as you are, and he will concern himself about cleaning you up. He will take you just as you are. So I, I'm asking you today. In a moment, I'm going to count to three, and with nobody looking around, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not my goal. My goal is to provide you an opportunity to say yes to Christ. And when I count to three, if you put your hand in the air, just so that I know that you're here so I can pray for you. Me up here and you at your seat. If you'd like to say yes to Christ today, I'm going to count to three. I want you to put your hand up and I encourage you, don't wait, don't put it off. Accept what he offers today. Accept his pardon. Accept his purpose. And accept his seat at the table today. If that's you and I'm talking to you, I'm going to count to three. Shoot your hand up. One, two, three. There's hands up across the room. It's wonderful. Is there anyone else? We're going to pray. For those of you that raised your hands, I, I just want to pray for you. And I want you, I'm going to say the prayer up here, and you can pray it in your heart, but I, but I ask you to mean it. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you came and you died and you rose again for me. I accept your gift of love. I accept your forgiveness. Show me how to live my life for you, and I'll spend every day doing just that. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, just know that you are beginning a journey with Christ.